Okay, well, this morning uh, we're going to be looking at the subject of the heart of God, and we're really looking at uh, a scripture that talks about how God's care is like a mother's care. Um, And so we'll get to that in a minute, but it's obviously a tricky week to speak on, particularly after all that's happened uh, in London this week. And actually, for me, it flashes back to, um, I actually spoke here uh, back on the weekend after September the 11th. Uh, And um, I remember thinking it's very tricky to have the right words to say after such an awful attack. Um, But I think we should say something. And I just wanted to say, I think, um, you know, as we look at this scripture, you know, God, God is deeply moved when he sees violence like that and hatred. It, it, it touches him because it's unjust, it's not right. And I thought, uh, I, just wanna, I thought the way that people gave um, tributes to that police officer, uh, Keith Palmer, I thought that was excellent, and all the medical staff, he went to his help. Amazing. They're showing, those people are showing God's love, compassion of God uh, in their daily lives when they care for those who are hurt and injured. So I just want to think that our thoughts and prayers go out to all those who've lost people this week. Um, But I thought about speaking on this subject actually uh, sometime last year when we talked about what we're going to do. And it was apparent that Mother's Day was a gap and, you know, when we're going to shoehorn Robin, well, I suppose we could do it on Mother's Day. He's got to do one sometime. So uh, this verse came to mind uh, and it's something that uh, I've... I've just, it's a very powerful phrase that Jesus uses, and it's picked up in both Matthew's and Luke's gospel. And this is the verse here, and it's a, I've taken the one in Luke, and it says this, so this is Luke chapter 13, verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And uh, it's a powerful statement about the heart of God. This phrase, how I have longed to gather you, as a hen gathers her chicks. So there's two things in there, but this, also this idea that people are not willing. So you've got this, these two things really, that there's this amazing love of God, and yet there is this unwillingness of mankind to follow. And I really want to look at these three things, these two things under three headings. It will make sense. Okay, under these three headings, which are Christ's compassion for you, overcoming objections, which is basically saying, what is it that makes us unwilling? What holds us back from following God with all our hearts? And then about restored relationship, how we can reconnect with God. So if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I'm not even sure there is a God. I'm not sure I could even believe. I'm not sure I could have some amazing things shared this morning. But for you, it just doesn't make sense. Well, hopefully today, I'll be able to help you understand how that works. How you can find the love of God for yourself. And make a a transformation to your heart and to your mind. Um, so first of all, then, Christ's compassion for you. And so you, you see this phrase, how often have I longed to gather you as a hen gathers your chicks. So when we, 
When we talk about the love of God, it was amazing, some of those contributions. I mean, I didn't prep anybody. I didn't uh, give any pieces of paper out this morning. But uh, there's some amazing contributions about God's heart and even some of the songs that Dan chose about how he loves us. But this is really this, this phrase, the longing, you know, God longs for us. You know, when it starts that phrase, it says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. And it's not, I just want to say, Jesus wasn't British, Okay. <laughs> Have you noticed that? You know, well, it's a revelation for some at the back over there. Because we are very, we lack passion, I think. As a general, we're a little bit subdued. But he says it twice because he, he's passionate about it. And actually in Matthew, it talks about how Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he weeps. He sees how desperate the situation is and he weeps. Now, we're not very good like that. We're a bit reserved. But this is the heart of God in Jesus. He's passionate Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've longed to gather you. And, and what's interesting is that if you want to look, know what God is like, you've got to look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of God, and he's also the embodiment of God's love. And what is amazing here, if you just want to think about it, is that he's speaking as God. He's speaking this phrase that you look at. He's, saying he's speaking as God because he's taking the viewpoint of God over all that's happened. So it talks about Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you have killed the prophets and sent those messengers who stoned you. So all through history, God had been sending messengers. They were his special people. Jerusalem sort of symbolizes the people of God, their, their capital. And God has sent messenger after messenger. And the, the history of the Old Testament, you follow it through, is that they were called into this close relationship with God. So you'll see in the Psalms, quite often it has this idea of coming under his wings, coming into the the closeness of God. And so it it talks about finding refuge in his wings. And even in Isaiah, it has this idea of that God is hovering over. I came across this. I was amazed. Literally, I was amazed. (laughs) I was looking, because I do all kinds of searching in the Bible when I'm doing a talk. And there's this bit in Isaiah that says this. Like birds hovering overhead, the Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and rescue it. So it's like God is watching over Jerusalem. And Jesus then comes and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, how I've longed. So he sent these messengers to them. And yet they've got hard hearts. They're not willing to follow. And this is the history of of God's people is that they get close but then they drift away. They get distracted and they get into error and God sends a messenger. And these messengers are often not always received willingly. And some were stoned. Not all were stoned, but you know, uh, some were, I think uh, Isaiah was uh, sawn in half. You get that in Hebrews, that uh, um, you know, it's not a good way to go. <laughs> but you, know, you think Isaiah was an amazing, some of the things Isaiah says absolutely amazing and yet ultimately... He had about four kings reign, but one of them decided to wipe him out. So there's this hostility and violence that creeps out in, this, in the heart of man. And God is grieved by it. He longs for people to come into relationship with him. So I thought just to illustrate this kind of the love of God as a mother hen. I've got some pictures, okay? talking to my boys, they said, what do you like? We like pictures and videos. Well, we've got pictures, we haven't got video, unfortunately. 
Although there are some very interesting videos on birds defending their chicks, if you've got the time if, this afternoon. Yeah. What shall I do with my afternoon? I, there's all kinds of interesting videos. Of, they're really good at protecting their young. Okay? And this is the image that Jesus gives about how he longs for us. So I quite like the top one. That's the one I chose. But this one down here, you see all those legs? They're all the chicks under the, the mother's control under the mothers but it's not just hens there's more and I thought I'll do this with John he likes his birds okay we know what that is that's a swan but yeah isn't that amazing how the swan cares under the wings okay and let's go for the next one okay now they're cute aren't they I've no idea what this is John you got any idea a ringed plover Okay, very good. Round of applause. What about the one at the top there? Anybody? No? It's it's a bird. Okay. And uh, and one more. There's one more. Okay. There's kind of a two shots. There's kind of the they've spread away from the mother, but then they're back safe. On the so I quite like that. Okay. Now, that's all very cute. But the, uh, this is a picture that Jesus uses about God's heart for us. That's why I wanted to put those pictures up. It, that, is, that is the heart of God. He wants to protect us. He wants to put his wings over us and cover us. And, it, and the best place to be is under his protection. The best place to be. That song about better is one day in your house, better is one day in your house. The best place to be is close to God. And yet sometimes we wander off. We get distracted. We drift away. But God has made a way that we can come back and know him. But I just want to underline that you, you cannot overemphasize how much the Bible talks about the love of God. I mean, if you, if you want to teach the Bible, it's all, it's all through the Bible is the love of God for people. It's... it's it runs all the way through. So this is just one example. Psalm 36 says, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Um, there's a quote here from Jerry Bridges I quite liked. God's unfailing love for us is an objective fact affirmed over and over in the scriptures. It is true whether we believe it or not. Our doubts do not destroy God's love, nor does faith create it. It originates in the very nature of God, who is love. So one, John says, God is love. You want to know what God is like? God is love. God is light, and God is love. There's the two God is statements in the Bible. I like to keep it simple for myself. God is love. God is light. He's holy, but he is loving. And we can come close to him. We can know his love in our hearts. And mothers, I think are much better at demonstrating the certain aspects of God. It says in, the new, in um, Genesis that we are, we are made, male and female, in the image of God. Okay? We're both made in the image of God. So it's not that men have got all the attributes or women have got all the attributes, but together we are made in the image of God. Yeah? And I think women so often are much better at demonstrating the compassion, the tenderness, the kindness the patience, the love of God than the men are. I mean, it's just, just the way it is. Um, and 
you know, it was funny. I mean, I don't think men are very good at appreciating their mothers. Is it, is it just me? Or, <laughs> but I was, <laughs> so I'm doing this talk and I'm preparing, thinking, well, you know, I'm sure my mum did some good things for me. <laughs> and, <laughs> so this is only a joke. Um, but I just realized, I was just thinking about all the things she did, all the kindness, all the, all the things, she, all the meals she prepared, all the ways that she loved me and looked after me. One of the things, I'll just tell you, because we haven't got all morning to talk about my mum, but uh, when, she, when I was about 10 or 11 years old, my grandfather, her dad, sadly passed away. And she came into uh, 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 some money. So what did she do with the money? Well, she bought... She bought me, <laughs> when it, she bought us, the family, a computer. So we never, we were quite relatively, we had no real money f- in terms of cash as a family when I was growing up. So all my mates seemed to have all the latest gadgets, so we never really had much. Although we did live on a big farm, so it <laughs> wasn't all bad. Um, but, but, so she got this inheritance, but what did she do? She gave me, sacrificially, she didn't buy herself lots of things that she could have done. She bought... Now, it was for the family, but I say it's for me because I was the only one who used it. I've got, th- I got four, three brothers. There's four of us. One wasn't even born then, but... Yeah, I basically dominated that computer. <laughs> um, and thinking about it, I just loved it. But that was her gift. That was her gift to me. And the others, technically, but, you know, they didn't really... Does it sound familiar? Anybody in our family? Anyway, let's, uh, let's leave that... So God, but she did, she did lots more than that. And I was just thinking about this this week. It's like, yeah, that is what God is like. He's so, so it says, this is how we know what uh, love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we too should lay down our lives for others. And I think mothers do that much better than a lot of fathers. But mothers and fathers are honored in the Bible. The whole thing of parenting and looking after kids, it's got a very high value in the Bible. It's important to say that on this day. So often people do belittle uh, it as a distraction or an irrelevance. It's one of the highest callings you can have is to love your family, to love your children. Um, and it, because it demonstrates when we're being like that, we're showing the compassion of God. When we're being a good mother or a good father, we're showing what God is like to our families. And the other thing that's great about my mum is she's got a deep personal faith. It's interesting, uh, um, in the Gospels, and in, uh, Paul talks about how Timothy, the faith that you had in, was in your grandmother, I can see is now in you, your mother and your grandmother. It came from his mother's, basically the faith that was in Timothy. And I know, for me, that my mum had a massive influence praying for me. I could see the authentic prayer life she had. I she gave me some books about God, Holy Spirit working. She was, she was quite subversive in, uh, in wanting God, the best, what God's got. You know, don't settle for what the world offers. Go for what God has got. So I'm very grateful to her. So Isaiah says this, As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. It's the voice of God speaking to Isaiah. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And that's another thing I just thought was really interesting because often people say, well, Paul, they're not always that positive about Paul, but Paul had a high view of mothers. 
It's interesting, there's this little catch, this little thing that I spotted in Romans. Because it looked like Paul must have lost his mother at some point. And he says, greet Rufus and greet his mother also, who's been a mother to me. I thought, how lovely is that? That he's, he's saying, she's been a mother to me. And I thought, there may be people here today who feel like maybe you've lost your mother. She's no longer with you. But there can be people, just as Andrew was talking about earlier on, there can be people, we, as a, a body of Christ, we can be brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers to one another. We can be mothers to others. Maybe your kids have moved on. You can, the motheringness of, of, uh, can be spread much more than just your nuclear family. The caring and the love for others can be spread wide. Does that make sense? I just thought it was a nice verse that I'd sneak it in there. Right. So that's the, that's the first thing. God loves you. Um, and in 1 John it talks about this thing about God is love. And I once thought of it like this, that it's just like God is so incredibly loving. And it talks about the height, the width, the depth, the love of God is so, so huge. You can't, you, know, you can't explain it fully, a bit like some of the contributions earlier. And it's literally like a, a waterfall of love, if you like. And... John makes this argument in his, in his letter saying, if someone says, I love God, and yet hates, hates someone else, so the love of God is not in him. Because it's a bit like saying somebody walking into a waterfall and then coming out dry. See what I mean? It's like we, if, you've not, if you've come into contact with God you've come into the contact with a God who is love. He is full of love. And so it must affect you. So if you say, well, I don't, I don't love other people, well, can I just say, maybe you've not known God yet. Maybe you've not experienced God fully or even got that close because God is love, yeah? And it's amazing. He's like a waterfall of love and it affects us. You can't be the same. You can't uh, just go... You can't be selfish. I mean, there's still traits of it, sure. But it changes you. It makes you more of an outward person that you want to care and com- have compassion for others. Yeah? So that's the first thing. The second thing is overcoming objections. So I just thought there may be some people here today who've just thinking, well, I don't even believe in God. So I don't know what you're... T- you're getting all excited about there at the front, Rob. I don't even believe... And there are, I think there are common barriers in our brains that stop us coming to God. This thing, but you were not willing. Why is so, if God is so amazing, if he's so full of love, then why are there empty seats here today? Why is the building not packed? Because there is an unwillingness. And there are barriers in people's minds that hold them back. So many people have been put off Christianity by all, for all kinds of things. But there's just three things I want to pick out this morning. Barriers that maybe are holding you back from getting close to God or following him fully. So the first one is it's not true. So you've got this thing, well, I just don't think it's true. We're going to tackle that. And then, not good. So actually, that's the feeling that well, I probably I could do a better job of my life without God. Or at least keep God at arm's length. But I don't want to get too close. 
well, not now. And there's all kinds of reasons that people have. Well, I, maybe when I'm a bit older, a bit sort of thing. So let's go on to the common objections in terms of not true. Now, I know that's a long list, okay, um, and time is short. So I'm going to whiz through these. But if you're genuinely thinking, well, I'm not sure it's even true, can I just bear with me a few minutes? I just want to give you some common uh, just helpful ways that you can show that God is true, that Jesus is real, that it makes sense intellectually. Um, this is not everything, but it's just a few things I wanted to share for anybody who's struggling. So, first of all, the common objection in people's minds is, well, science says that we can explain the universe without God, therefore God doesn't exist, therefore, uh, you know, we don't need Christianity anymore. And that's a really strong... I, mean, I was listening to the radio the other day. Some guy was waffling on about how, you know, it's all a construct. Religion is a construct of the mind. We're just, you know, that kind of thing. It's very, very common. It's quite persuasive and pervasive. Quite like that word. In our world. But does it make sense? So if you take the fine-tuning of the universe... This is the discoveries, particularly in the last few decades, where people are looking into the various cosmological constants and all the numbers that make our world live. Now, this is too complicated to explain in a short uh, time like this this morning. But basically, the the universe is so fine-tuned for existence that people, rational scientists, to try and explain the huge probability, have now said, well, we need to have this idea of a multiverse because the chance is so astronomical that it's by chance that we need to create something that creates the chance. So they have this idea of multiverse that at the beginning of time there were lots of different universes being created because only that can give enough probability. To, see what I mean? That's, that's how amazing it is that you're alive today is the fine-tuning of uh, the world and how it's made. So that, if you want to look that up, if you've got questions about that, read, some, read around that subject. It's quite an amazing thing. You can say to somebody, well, you know, chance just doesn't work. It does not work as a reason for why we're here. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing that I would really draw people to is, is the historical eyewitness accounts. So the New Testament is pre- presented as eyewitness accounts, historical eyewitness accounts. It's not myth or something that's grown down through the years. And so if you go to the next page, we'll have to flick back in a minute if that's all right. If you go to the next slide, this is just the introduction. The next slide. Ah, There we go. The next, so this is just the introduction of Luke. And it says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account from eyewitnesses, etc. With this in mind, I, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you believed. Now, Luke writes like this. He's very, very detailed. He gets right into detail on everything, because he says, I want you to know it's true. I've taken... So, interestingly, he seems to know more about the birth of Jesus and any other gospel writers, because it looks like he probably interviewed Mary. He wanted to find out, was it true? And so you're writing, they're writing what are, are, are eyewitness accounts. 
And if you read it with an open mind, it's very difficult to get away and think, well, how can all this be made up? And uh, one of the things I love is, if we go to the next slide, is this idea of textual criticism. Now, I know you're thinking, oh dear. Well, I know I'm thinking, I haven't got that much time. But I think it's really helpful. When I understood this, it really helped me realize how true the Bible is, and the New Testament in particular. So what you've got there on the column on the left are different historical works, okay? Some of you, if you've done the Alpha course, you may have seen this in the first week. But you've got different historical works. Then you've got the date at which they're written. Then you've got when's the earliest copy that we've got, yeah? So it could be maybe a thousand-year gap has happened between when they wrote it and the earliest copy we've got, and then how many copies are there, okay? I can see some puzzled faces. But basically, what it shows is that there is a very, very short gap for the New Testament and that there are just ridiculous amounts of copies. So if I explain it like this, if I write the Gospel of Rob this morning, okay, in this room, so Rob was a great person, well, you know, whatever. You can, you can imagine what it might go like. And then all of you make copies of this amazing piece of work that I create. But then this goes missing. This is now this is disintegrated. But there are hundreds of copies of this original thing. So you can look at all those copies that were made, all of the ones that you made so well, and you can check, do they match? Well, the New Testament, all those copies there that you can have, all the fragments, 99.5% is accurate. If there's probably 95% is accurate, and then there's spelling mistakes. Anyway, not everybody's good at spelling. There are, but it's not, so it's 95% accurate, but then if you take out just the spelling mistakes, it's 99.5%. So there's a very small amount where people debate about what does this word mean, what does that word mean. So the reason for getting it into that is just to say nobody can say the Bible what we have in the New Testament was made up by the church through the centuries it's mythological, it's made up what we have is what we wrote, what they wrote you can be absolutely cast iron on that, what we have is what they wrote, so then you have to say well is it true did Jesus really rise from the dead and I believe he did I believe that Jesus rising from the dead is the only thing that explains the situation around the, the, uh, the New Testament and what happened. It's the only thing that explains the empty tomb, the, the appearances that they had, the transformation of the disciples, how bold they were in telling people that Jesus was alive. They literally turned the world upside down with this message that Jesus was alive, that they'd seen him with their eyes, that they'd touched him. Even James, the brother of Jesus, I was thinking about this week, even James. So James in the New Testament goes up to uh, Jesus. Says, oh, he almost tries to put Jesus off, him and his uh, mother, because he's getting a little bit carried away with himself, all this, uh, you know, reaching this nation. So, but James sees the risen Jesus, and he becomes a leader in the church. So he goes from trying to stop Jesus to becoming one of his senior leaders in the church. There's probably a family resemblance. (laughs) So 
it's quite incredible the way that God turns people's lives around. And so that, that, if you want to look more at that, I can recommend you some reading afterwards. Okay, move on. Then there's archaeological evidence. So this is basically, Luke is very, very detailed. Um, and so, for example, he names 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands without historical ever, error. So everything that he writes, is all the details are right. Now, I'm a little bit, I do research for a living, so I can get a bit nerdy. So save me. I will, but there are all kinds of things where people said, well, that, I'm not sure Luke was right. And they, they criticize it and say, well, I'm not sure archaeologically that was right. And then they dig something up and, oh, it really was there. So there's, there's just loads of that stuff. And I can't go into it today. But if you want to read about it, you can. And you can convince yourself that what Luke said, and that's just one of the gospel writers, is true. So there's archaeological evidence. And then if we move on to the next slide, there's prophecy, the fulfillment of prophecy. Now for me, this is probably the, the thing I think that really clinches it. Because this, you can't explain this any other way than uh, Jesus was the Messiah and is, can make an impact in your life. What does that mean? Well, Jesus basically fulfills about 300 prophecies in his life. So you've got the Old Testament, and it's written hundreds of years before Jesus came. So you can prove that. Hundreds of years before, and you can prove that. And then Jesus came, and he fulfills lots of things that were said in the Old Testament. Okay? And so some people say, well, maybe he tried to fulfill them. But some of them are things like, where is he going to be born? So you know when in the, in the Gospels it talks about, the, they, they ask Herod, um, the, the, well, where's the the Messiah going to be born? They say, well, it's in Bethlehem. So they look in the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before, in fact, close to 700 years before, and there's this prophecy about out of Bethlehem will come a ruler. And there's signs like the, um, the virgin will give birth and they'll call him Emmanuel. These are prophecies. Then if you look at something like Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53, there are just so many amazing things that are written hundreds of years before Jesus, that he fulfilled. And I'd love with more time to go into the detail on that. But someone explained like this. Um, it's a bit like, so just taking, if you just took eight prophecies, hang on, where's my watch? Yeah. Um, the point is, there is an astronomical number. Okay, I don't even need to go into the detail of trying to explain it. But the probability is so high. You know, it's like picking out a, one out of uh, 10 to the power of 17. Okay? If you got, your head can get that number. That's just for fulfilling eight prophecies. Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. And I just want to encourage you, there is a lot of truth to Christianity. So anybody who says it's not true, that it's made up, it's gone through that people are just doing it to please their family or something like that. There's, much, there's lots and lots of evidence, okay? And I have not got the time to explain everything this morning, and I know a lot of you in the balcony are pleased to hear that. But, but God loves you, and he has made a way through Jesus that you can know him. And there is lots of evidence. So don't allow this not true 
this not true uh, objection in your mind to stop you. Explore it. Find books that talk about the evidence. Understand it and prove it to others. And the ultimate one is the resurrection of Jesus. Not good. To just touch these other objections just quickly. Not good. Well, I think this is this thing that people think they can do better with their lives than God can. And it's interesting that quite often some of the most senior people in the Bible initially reacted badly to God. So when Peter first meets Jesus, he says, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. So he's reluctant at the start. He says about Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. What was that? That was when they used to prod the animals. So it seems like God had been trying to get to Paul for some time. And he was kicking against it. He didn't want to follow. So there was a reaction against. And uh, I I love the um, story about C.S. Lewis, who describes himself as the most reluctant convert in all of England. He was was thinking a thinking man. He eventually came to conclusion it was true, but he kind of went, Oh, I'll do it then. But then he found it was great joy. My point in this is that so many people miss out on what God has for them because they believe the lie that God's ways are not good. Why does um, the the chick wander away? It's interesting, then, in uh, Luke's Gospel, the next chapter, has the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son who runs away from his dad. Why does the prodigal son run away? Because he thinks he's going to have more fun away from God. He thinks there's more fun to be had away from God's uh, blessing. And obviously it all goes horribly wrong for him. The best place to be is in the wings, under the wings, close to God. And there's this this amazing thing where Jesus says, anyone who asks and receives... Anyone who seeks can find. Anyone who knocks on the door will be open to them. So this is open to every single person in this building today and those who are not here. And it says, if a, fa- if a father, if a son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? Or ask for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Now that's pretty weird language, isn't it? If a, you imagine a father being asked for something. It makes him sound like an impractical joker. Anybody watch that show? Don't watch it, it's terrible. This thing where he's going to trick people. God is not going to trick people. It's not going, I'm going to give you a good life. Ah, not really. You know, when he promises life and life in all its fullness, is he, God wants a good life for you. He wants the best life for you. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't mean it will be easy, but it's not going to be easy without him. It's much better to be in a relationship with God. So don't allow this voice saying it's not good. It is the best way to live. And not now. Well, I just think those are excuses that people make. And often it's about timing. And interestingly, Jesus tells a story about the invitation, about an invitation to a banquet. And he says that people were offered this invitation to come to a great feast. And one by one, the excuses came back. And uh, excuses go like this. I've just bought a field, so I've got to go and use it. Or I've just got five yoke oxen. 
maybe you've got a Porsche, I guess that could be the equivalent. And I've just got to go and try it out. I've just got married, I can't come. There are all kinds of valid things that people use, that obstacles. I just, I was going to follow God, but then that thing happened, and I'm just going to wait till I'm a bit older. I think that's quite a common excuse that people give. I'm just going to leave it. I just want to caution you, beware of the hardness of heart. Because every time you're rejecting God, you're potentially hardening your heart. Every time God invites you to respond to him, and you say, oh, I'm just, just not now, not now, you're potentially hardening your heart. It talks about Pharaoh, how his heart got hardened. He said, just kept saying, no, 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 I won't. I'm going to leave it till I'm older. I'm going to wait. Be careful you're not hardening your heart. God doesn't want you to have a hard heart. He wants you to have a soft heart like him. And um, I just really appeal to you today, if that's you and you've been putting it off, stop. Because it's not, it's a real danger. And this is what happens in this verse that the people were not winning. Jesus knew bad stuff was coming down the line for Jerusalem. That's why he's grieved. He knows the temple is going to be destroyed. But people without God have got no hope. He's grieved and he wants them to come to that relationship. So this is the final thing then, a restored relationship. Well, how do we get back? Well, Jesus has done everything required to make that way back. In a relationship, someone has to be the first mover. Someone has to take the initiative. And that's what God did in sending Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. He took the initiative. So he has made that way. He's taken the first move. So all we do is we respond. We say, yes, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to be king of my life. And uh, there's an interesting story in Matthew's Gospel. It talks about a father and two sons. It's not the prodigal son. But it's these two sons. And it says... He asked them to do something. And one of them said, yes, I will go. I will do it. And then didn't go. And then one other one said, no, I won't. But then did. And Jesus asked the question, well, which did what the father wanted? So I just want to encourage you, if you've been reluctant, if you've been a bit like a Peter or a Paul, and you just there's something about you that's resisted God, but then you choose to go, ultimately. God's pleased with that. If you're someone who said, yeah, yeah, I'm in, but you never really follow through, that's not so great. God wants us to be wholehearted for him. Okay, so I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. And this is for anybody who is not yet a Christian and you'd like to make that step today. And there's basically, a, in the back of these Why Jesus books, there's a really helpful prayer. I just feel that there may be one or two here today who would like to pray this prayer. So if you could bow your heads, and I'm just going to read it out. I'm going to invite you in your heart to pray this prayer and invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. So it says this, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. 
thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.